0: all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, this is David Feingold, the president of Chatham University and your host for the Future of Higher Education podcast on the New Books Network. I'm here today with Bijal Shah, the Chief Experience Officer for Guild Education. Bijal, it's great great to be with you today.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you as well.
0: Uh, could you start by telling just a little about your own background? Where where did you grow up? Where did you go to school?
1: Yeah, um, so I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. Um, I have a lot of Texas pride. Um, uh, I think it just comes with um, having grown up there. Um, I um, went to public school um, in Houston um, and um, was pretty fortunate when I was in um, high school to have um, some outside mentors who kind of pointed me in the direction of um, thinking about uh, going to college and um, what it meant to go to a good college um, and and to uh, continue my education. Um, and so ended up going to Penn for undergrad um, and um, studying uh, chemical engineering, and then uh, eventually got a job um, in what is known as um, lovingly known as data science today, at the time was called operations research, um, a very non, <laughs> non-eloquent and exciting name. Um, yeah. And that's where I started my journey.
0: Great. And and, and which high school did you go to in Houston? Because I actually moved down to Houston when I was 16 and so w- was finished up high school there.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. So I grew up um, in the Cypher area and so I went to Cypress Falls High School um, in wow. Houston. Yeah.
0: Great. Yeah well it's striking you know the the Texas pride not not that many students leave Texas for college right so 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 you were you know you, that mentoring obviously had a big impact
1: Yeah I got really lucky actually so um you you are right um even when I was in high school there was a program I'm not sure if it still exists today where if you were in the top 10% of your class you automatically got admitted um into one of Texas's public um universities and I, that was my, my intention. Um, I um, knew that, um, you know, it would, it would take some, um, obviously working and work study to be able to afford to go to the public university in Texas, but that was my plan. Um, and I informally just got really lucky with someone being like, hey, have you thought about applying to these other um, schools and um, took the time out to have a conversation with me. And then I applied. Um, and was told repeatedly I probably wouldn't get into any of those schools and that I needed a backup plan. So yeah.
0: yeah. So 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 you managed to go into kind of data science before it was a big, big thing. Tell tell us a little yeah. about how your career evolved. And particularly interested, I, I understand during the Clinton administration, you had a chance to to get a fellowship and to go to India. And I've done quite a bit of work on the Indian education higher ed system. Uh, and so I would love to hear about, you know, your own work there and, and and how that unfolded.
1: Yeah, so I have a pretty windy career journey. Um, as I mentioned, my background is in engineering and my first job, as you as you stated, was um in, in the field of data science. Um, I actually, one of the things I always gravitated towards, even um, in high school, I was part of um, Junior Achievement, where you um, kind of build a business inside of your your school and then you make products and you sell them. Um, uh, I've always been a little bit entrepreneurial and um, liked the aspect of kind of figuring out how you can make something sustainable um, from a business perspective out of things. And so even when I was doing data science work, I worked in a management consulting job where I was helping executives of um, Fortune 500 companies understand how to leverage data to do better real-time decision-making. And so um, there was a strategic component always to the job as well as an analytical and numbers component. And I really liked that. Um, and so I continued to double down on that intersection um, throughout my career. That said, um, when I was 25 years old, um, we had a tragedy in my family. Um, my um, my cousin passed away very suddenly, and after I think I processed what had happened, I had this moment where I looked up and was like, "Life is too short. Like, what am I doing? I like work for this large company." Um, I'm helping them make even more money. Um, I want to do something different and more impactful. And so I moved to India. Um, and this is actually my first foray in, in thinking about how education and, and career um, and, and uh, corporations can come together. Um, it's quite fortuitous. I got placed with an organization called SAF um, in Ahmedabad in India. And they were working on something called market-aligned skills training. And the mandate of what they were trying to do, along with a bunch of other organizations inside of India, is to figure out how you could train underserved population on market relevant skills and place them in jobs in places like BPOs, um, uh, back office processing organizations, to be able to actually increase their livelihood opportunity and the amount of money they made. And so it was a really cool experience um, in trying to figure out how do you do this at scale and working with the organization I was placed at as well as um, across a section of organizations across India to figure out how are we going to um, create something that is scalable and helps um, enable um, underserved populations and help them unlock livelihood opportunities while bringing market relevant skills to um, companies inside of India um in a way that um allows them to want to pay for and then hire these individuals
0: that that's really cool now in in, in india because that the 90s right that was really the explosion of of the bpo and and the the sort of outsourcing of of service and call centers but but my impression was that most of those jobs were going to college graduates in india because they were among the highest paying jobs available and they were high demand. So how are you helping sort of underserved groups and ones who might not have had that to be competitive for those kinds of positions?
1: Yeah, I think you're right in some sectors. So, you know, I worked at a management consulting firm and we opened an office, office in Pune, India, and I was part of the team that helped open that office at that time. And we very much were taking some of our analytical Uh, processes and moving them back office and um, had opened the office for that. And we're hiring a bunch of folks from uh, places like IIT, Indian Institute of Technology. Um, But the types of um, the evolution of of what started to happen is a lot of companies also wanted to move their customer support operations um, to places like India. And so this was actually helping to train folks in those types of skills to be able to provide support services, um, you know, be tier one support, et cetera, um, in ways that made sense. And so a lot of training around um, basic things like English speaking skills um, and helping you understand how to um, provide English speaking um, you know, services that are in English um, which are not only helpful for that job, but uh, also relevant just given, you know, globalization and things happening in that um, in that uh, area. The other um, thing that uh, happened was also um, basic other basic skills on how do you provide good customer support? Um, How do you think about showing up professionally at the job Um, Were other areas where there was focus in addition to the specific job function that um, needed to be unlocked?
0: Great. So could you tell us, how did you first learn about Guild and what was it that attracted you to join the organization?
1: Um, so I live in Denver and, and Guild's um, uh, co-founder, Rachel, um, and at the time, Britt, um, uh, they both were also living in Denver. And Denver is, is a small town um, uh, in some sense where um, you kind of get to know a lot of people. And so I'd heard about Guild through the Grapevine um And actually through one of Guild's board members um, got tapped into um, Rachel in a more formal way around, hey, Bijal, you have a background in kind of these three areas, um, specifically around technology and payments. Um, Rachel has a company um, that she has co-founded that I think could really use your skill set. And I started engaging in conversations with Rachel. um, And she will joke that I think it was a pretty long courtship as she describes it. Um, I really was happy with where I was at and the work I was doing. Um, but as she started to describe the opportunity and, and the impact in particular, as I'd mentioned, I like left to go to India to try and find kind of something that felt more impactful. Um, and while that wasn't something that I was going to do in the long run, I, I kept coming back to how can I um, combine the notion of mission and margin in ways that uh, create a sustainable business that really does drive impact. And as she started talking more and more about what Guild was trying to do and what it wanted to unlock and what its mission was and how the organization was set up, it became really clear to me that I was super excited about what Guild was trying to do and what Rachel, um, in particular, was trying to unlock, as well as um, that my skill set and my background, it was just a nice combination of what Guild needed and what I could provide, um, as well as um, the ability to drive impact.
0: And can you say, uh, just so for the listeners, just what is it that... Uh, Guild does, and 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 what was it about that mission that attracted you?
1: Yeah, so Guild um, was founded to bridge the gap uh, between work and career and education for working adults, who for too long, honestly, have just been let down by existing systems, um, where uh, that drive poor outcomes. And so we're on a mission, um, at the end of the day, to unlock opportunity through education and upskilling for America's workforce. Um, and we work with some of the largest employers in the country to serve millions of working adults um, who need help with learning, reskilling, and training to succeed in in today's economy and the future economy.
0: Great. And you you referenced Britt and Rachel. I I had the great pleasure to work with them, Brittany Stitch and Rachel Romer Carlson, at at an educational startup, Quad Learning or, or American Honors. I know you weren't there for the, the very early days, but I'm curious in that long courtship and your conversations with them, uh, whether there was any influence from that experience they'd had, because they were both straight out of college. That was, you know, a, a first opportunity for them um, in 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 what they sought to found with Guild.
1: Yeah, I, I'm sure that they, you know, I take my prior experiences and I can't speak on their behalf, but I take my prior experiences and They've definitely been a fuel for new ideas, for new ways of working. And so I suspect that there is a lot wrapped up. Um, and I do know in particular that the research uh, Rachel and Britt were working on um, as it relates to the community college sector and looking at, um, you know, what was happening with high cost, low quality schools did drive a lot of their initial thinking around there has to be a better model for how we do this and and how can we um, participate in creating um, and driving impact. and so um i i i I will um I will say that i I suspect that, yes, um, it influenced them. I couldn't say to to what degree, um but I do know that a lot of their prior work did feed into thinking about how can we do this differently mm-hmm.
0: and And you've stressed already that part of what you were looking for was was a model that could be not just having a positive social impact, but be be. You know, long-term financially sustainable. Can you say a little bit about how the how does the guild business model work? What was the initial proposition there, and and how did they go about financing this this idea? Because I know they were forming it straight from business school at Stanford, right? Yeah, um,
1: you know, I think the 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 core of what Guild is trying to do, uh, Rachel pulled up a deck a few weeks ago that I think was like the 2016 pitch deck. I might got might have got the year wrong, um, but it was a, a very early pitch deck on what Guild is trying to do and how we're trying to sit at the intersection of working adults, employers, and learning um, learning providers. And that same model exists today. Um, and kind of that same notion around how do we create a model for working adults that will work, um, but that actually benefits all stakeholders is really, really important to what Guild is trying to do. And we have an internal term we, we use called shared success, a model of shared success. Um, if we want to actually drive in Impact and we want to drive them for the 88 million working adults. Um, we have to create a shared success model where the working adult really feels like Guild is enabling them in the right ways, where employers feel like Guild is doing something that ultimately benefits them um, in a way that um, honestly unlocks talent opportunities and where learning um, partners feel like um, they have the ab- ability to impact and influence um, and provide relevant content and curriculum for these working adults. And so we do spend a lot of time internally kind of balancing um, this this notion of shared success and making sure that we ultimately are um, making decisions and, and unlocking a model that really does ensure that all boats rise um, at the end of the day.
0: Well, one thing that I think aligns really well with that sort of shared success and stakeholder mindset is is the fact that um set itself up as a B corporation, a benefits corporation. Um, and, and that's one where instead of the traditional U.S. shareholder model, where it's only the owners you're beholden to, it really says, you know, we, we, we exist as an organization to serve this this wider kind of notion of shared success i am curious as 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 the the organization has evolved have you seen any points where being a b corp and having that model has led to different decisions than you might have made if you were say a just a traditionally venture capital backed uh you know maximize profit startup
1: yeah, um, for me, I, this is like the really exciting ap- part because it does come up often as part of my job res- responsibilities as Chief Experience Officer. Um, one of the things that um, is really important in my part of the organization is bringing the voice of the student or the voice of, of um, you know, the individual um, into the organization. And so, um, on a on a regular basis, there are conversations around, "Hey, what do we do in this situation, and, and are we doing right by?" Um, you know our students, or what will this mean for driving an even larger and broader impact? Um, but I can give you two specific examples on on decisions that were made differently. So one was really early on in Walmart's program, they had um, a dollar a day fee. Um, it was a very clever marketing campaign um, and a really great way. I think they were trying to drive um, kind of uh, this notion of like you put something in, so you you feel committed. Um, it turned out that like it actually in, in, increased barriers for people in terms of access um, and folks taking advantage of the benefit. And so we actually worked with Walmart to be like, hey, we understand why you thought this might have been a great idea. Um, you know, we test it out with you. Uh, but we believe that actually will drive better engagement and better outcomes if we can remove this um, on behalf of um, our students. And so we ended up um, getting it removed. Um, And uh, we saw uh, an uptick in the number of folks taking advantage of of the benefit because they didn't have to worry about this dollar a day and what it meant from a calculations perspective and how it's going to come out of their paycheck, et cetera. Um, The other is in the academic partners we work with. Um, We have tough conversations internally around, is this the right partner? And if so, what parts of them, um, you know, not every partner also is, is unanimous. There are programs that are really great at times, and there are other programs that might not be great for working adults. And so we spend a lot of time um, putting together our own framework on what we believe um, are, are good outcomes or things to measure our providers on. And we have internal conversations constantly on does this make sense and is this right? And if so, what parts of it um, um, in order to make sure that we hold, um, you know, a bar and a standard around outcomes.
0: Yeah. So so I wanted to follow up on a couple of things in, in what you just said. So so one of the very first uh partners that that guild signed was walmart which is i think if not the largest one of the world's largest private sector employers and is notoriously extremely demanding on its suppliers and and partners i would have thought that was a a a pretty daunting task for a new startup to to you know have to meet those expectations so i i wonder if you could say a little about how guild convinced them to to go with a startup and then what that relationship has been like in, in how it's evolved
1: yeah so at the time that we started working with walmart um the first time uh we started working with them before we expanded our partnership i actually wasn't at guild um and so i hear hallway stories of of you know rachel and the team um going and and having conversations with walmart I will say that like we, we were at that time and continue to be a pretty innovative model for um, driving um, kind of upskilling and reskilling and helping employers think about their talent um, kind of needs in a unique and differentiated way. And I suspect that as part of us pitching to Walmart, we demonstrated our ability to think outside the box and to think differently about how we would think about helping them um, drive their talent needs um, in in the right ways. Um, I will say that they've been an amazing partner. Um, While you might think, uh, you know, I'm not sure what people's perceptions are of Walmart. um, I will just say having, you know, sat on the other side, they're really innovative they really care about their employees and they want to push the envelope on, on how they um, help enable them in the right ways. Um, and so it's been actually quite fun working with them um, and having someone who's willing to test and try new things out um, in such a, you know, they have such a large population um, that they're working with. Um, and we have, you know, they're not our only incredible partner. We have we have a lot of incredible partners that we have the pleasure of working with, who really are just trying to do something different, um, which makes it easier for us to try and drive the impact we want to drive.
0: And and you know, your the the issues you're trying to address now, particularly working with a lot of the nation's largest employers, places like Target, um, Chipotle, Macy's, you know, as well as Walmart, they're all. At the moment, right, the hot buzzword in labor markets is the is the Great Resignation, the challenges of retaining talent. I'm curious, have you, as you know, someone who comes from a data background, have you been able to quantify for them the benefits of being able to offer a program like Guild does to provide this generous educational benefit to to their their whole workforce?
1: Yeah, um we have um we have um we are, you know, at the end of the day it is really important that in this shared success model we are able to demonstrate to all parties involved in Guild's marketplace the value we drive for them. And so for employers specifically for every dollar that they invest, we've proven that we they see a 2.8x return um in that dollar investment. And so we have ROI calculations. We've also um, you know, drive a 39% higher retention rate for students who embark on the guild program, and so there are a number of different ways that we've been able to prove and show um, the business value at the end of the day that we drive for employers. And then, as someone again who spends a lot of our, my time thinking about our members and our students, um, we also can show value by telling stories about what impact. You know these employers are actually driving for their employees on a on a day to day basis. And to just give you one anecdote of like a story, I just absolutely love. Um, There was a woman who was um, working in a Walmart store in Alabama, um, and she um, ended up uh, um, applying um, for and getting enrolled in a cybersecurity program um, through Live Better You, and and what Guild um, does for Walmart and. Um, You know, fast forward um, over a period of time, she ended up getting an offer to move um, to corporate in a cybersecurity role um, uh, and out of the uh, retail store that she was in. And that part of the story is really great. But the part of the story that just melted my heart is it turns out that um, what she had stated was that, you know, her employees found out that she would be relocating and moving and the store just kind of lined up and like everyone was celebrating and high-fiving her um, on this new opportunity she got. Um, she was like, I felt like a celebrity, I think is, is what, she said, what she had stated. And so I think there's real stories with real people where we're driving real impact. And to me, that is the coolest part of what we do.
0: And can can you unpack, so that 2.8x um, ROI for the money spent on, on education for, for the employees, what, what goes into that return? Is that looking at, uh, obviously, there are significant savings to the organization from higher retention. Are you also looking at, at uh, productivity or output of employees? I, I'm just curious what, what goes into the form.
1: Yeah, it can be contribution back to the business and how they're contributing back to the business. It is retention. Um, it's also like reducing hire time and seats um in terms of filling the right seats um in a in a timely fashion. And so there are um those are just a few things. Um there are a bunch of things that go into calculating that. And obviously over time, as we've talked to employers about um where they would like to derive value and how they think about the value we're driving, we've been able to refine um, how we think about our methodology and evolve um, uh, evolve our calculations as well. So
0: I was curious, well, back in my days of, of, of doing more academic research, um, we did a really interesting study looking at a number of Fortune uh, 500 companies that had uh, generous tuition reimbursement programs and what the impact was. One of the interesting things we found there was was there was a really strong retention impact while the students were studying, because, of course, particularly if you were doing full degrees, that was often three, four years or more that, that you were enrolled. But after you completed, there was a sort of bifurcated outcome. So it, if the employer recognized the effort and the new skills the, the individual had required and promoted them, then that... You know, there was a big boost further in productivity retention. But if there wasn't that subsequent recognition, then that could lead to turnover because people felt like they uh, had done, invested all this extra time and whatnot. And even though the company had paid, they felt like now they weren't getting the chance to use what they'd learned. I'm curious. I know you don't have too much longitudinal data, but have you been able to look at anything like that in terms of career progression?
1: Um, yeah, yeah, Yes and no. So I what I will say to you is, um, you know, at the end of the day, we are very focused on making sure that our students um, and our learners at the end of the day are successful. Um, and the employers that we work with are really committed to um, making sure that we are thinking about what will drive success for them. Um, you know, nine out of 10 uh, of those who um, kind of work with Guild or are invo- involved with Guild. Um, They embark on their journey for um, learning because they are looking for career outcomes at the end of the day. And that could be more flexibility in their job. That could mean having a job where they're not on their feet all day, et cetera. Um, And so we have. um, But that's not everyone. um, And that's not always their primary reason. And we have a lot of folks who want to set an example for someone in their family as to why they're going back to school. Um, and so we don't have a ton of data post facto because working adults just generally take longer um, to go back to school. But I will tell you that um, we, in the population of folks that we um, serve today, um, we are driving widespread impact already in terms of helping people see mobility within their roles. And so the attrition that we might that might come later over a longer tenured period of time, we, there just hasn't that hasn't baked out or panned out for us in a way that it might, um, if it were a shorter uh, timeline, or if honestly, we were talking about 10 years. Um, But I think people don't stay at their employer for 10 years um, in this day and age. And so um, I would be surprised at at whether, you know, what those numbers would look like um, from then on. But I do feel really good about Um, the impact we are already driving as it relates to mobility opportunities, um, wage growth, and then also making sure people feel like their employers invested in them in a different way. Um, You did say something that I think is really important that is a key differentiator and I think leads to different behavior and outcomes for Guild in particular is that, um, you know, we don't, we Um, we do tuition assistance, um, meaning we want to make sure that we are providing payment, um, and as well as access along the journey versus after the journey. And I do think that creates a different, um, relationship between the, um, employee and the employer in terms of their feeling supported by the employer. Um, this isn't one where you have to like take out money out of your own pocket, um, And then wait to get money back. And so sometimes people wait because they're waiting for the money to come back. In our case, you're embarking on this journey alongside your employer and the employer is paying for you as you go along in a way that I think creates a different relationship and mindset between the employer and the employee.
0: Yeah and and that was that was the case in the in the firms we studied as well with with a really substantial investment the interesting thing was th- that relationship held as long as they were in education but because the employees were taking this on you know often they had a family they were working a full-time job and they were studying for years right and so the question was when you complete that degree what does it mean for your career path and it was that recognition piece that was the interesting thing they they acknowledged the investment but but you know it, it it's the okay then what next from what does this mean for me in my advancement and the walmart example you gave is a great example right there was a, a oh you've got these skills well you are able to do something you know entirely different within within the employer
1: yeah, and I do think a lot of our employers are viewing it that way, and so um, in terms of driving mobility opportunities internally inside their organizations, and so I think we sit at the luxury of a of a, a new era of time um, and a different landscape um, um, economically in which um, we we are able to. Um, do two things. One is, you know, a lot of the folks we are working with are frontline employees, which means their um, career journey is not one and done. It's not do this one program or finish and complete this one, um, you know, degree, and then you will be set on your way. They are um, there, there are series of, of educational opportunities they need to embark on in order to realize where they're trying to go, and so I do think that it's just a different. We're in a different era, um, and and kind of the the frontline employees and the populations that we are working with today, they just need they need a more supported journey, um, and the journey um, tends to be longer. The other thing is because of where we are economically and what is happening um, in terms of um, the future of work and a shift in the labor force and what is required, a lot of new opportunities are opening up internally inside of employers. And there is a huge um, talent gap. And so you have to get creative about how you fill those and who you take bets on and how you make sure people get the skills. That just makes it, I think, a different time and era in terms of both what employers can expect, but then also what employees can get out of uh, their experience.
0: Absolutely, um, I I love it if you could say a little about how you've decided which colleges and universities to work with, and the you know in in the shared success model that you have.
1: Yeah, so we have a whole team um, that kind of works on um, assessing our academic institutions and. Um, we have uh, started to, um, we've actually internally developed a framework um, that's called outcomes-based quality assurance um, standards. And those standards have, I think there are six different um, uh, attributes that go into that. Um, and some of those are things like driving career advancement And some of those are things like uh, scheduling flexibility, again, because we're working with working adults um, and and or whether they have the ability to. Um, help articulate and recognize prior learning and on-the-job learning. Again, we're working with working adults. They have a lot of experience and things they've learned on the job. And so we use these factors to basically try and understand where does a specific academic um, institution, but more importantly, where does a program inside of that academic institution fall on um, our um, fall inside of our framework? And then therefore, how do we think about whether or not they are um, great for our marketplace um, and whether they, we believe they'll deliver the right outcomes. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and are you focusing predominantly on large institutions, given the large employers you work with, or is there a spectrum in terms of meeting the local needs of employees
1: um, we work with all kinds of um, academic institutions. We work with um, institutions that are offering four-year degrees. We work with institutions that provide high school um, degrees. Um, we work with folks who are providing short form certificates. Um, we work, uh, one of the beauties of being, um, you know, guild and um, sitting at the center of this, um, this uh, ecosystem is that we're a marketplace. And so we really wanna make sure that we uphold some standards inside of our marketplace and that we ultimately at the end of the day are doing right by the working adult learner. Um, But we work with a spectrum, knowing that what people are trying to gain skills in and where they are on their journey can vary um, and making sure that we can be supportive and provide opportunities regardless of where they are on their journey is really important to us. And so in some places, yeah, we have local institutions that we work with um, that are near um, where an employer might have a pretty large base. And in other cases, we have national institutions um, that serve predominantly online populations and do a really good job of it. And so it really does vary.
0: Great. Can you share a little what impact the pandemic has had on you in terms of, of, you know, your delivery model, your work, work with both the learners and the employers?
1: Yeah, um so I'll break it up into two cuz I think it's had an impact on like how guild works um and how what 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 is happening with guild. Um and I think a lot of the things I'll talk about are relevant for most employers and and guild also, you know, has to think about these things. And then there is the how it's um kind of accelerated what Gu- guild's mission um in pretty cool ways. And so internally you know, at the end of the day, as is the case with, um, I think, a lot of um, the headlines that have been shared, um, COVID has impacted um, women in the workforce pretty disproportionately. Um, and as someone who has like a new, um, a newborn, um, I guess she's an infant now, is she's, she's nine months old. Um, I uh, personally am trying to juggle um, and, and, you know, juggle what it means for her um, childcare facility to shut down and how I'm gonna balance the work day. And I have a very, very supportive partner um, and still the burden in my mind falls on me to figure those pieces out. Um, and so there is a lot that Guild is trying to do to try and help make sure that we um, are helping to offset um, the increased burden or constraint that, that women in particular might feel. And one of the things that we actually started during the pandemic, um, Kudos to Rachel um, for this is we opened up a child uh, preschool um, and child care center in Denver called the Beehive. Um, And it's been really great in terms of kind of trying to drive, um, you know, comprehensive support for folks like myself um, in a way that um, allows me to show up um, and and do the job that I love. Um, And I think that a lot of employers are kind of wrestling with what this means um, from like a from a. From a business model and Guild's business perspective, um, COVID accelerated a lot of trends that were already happening in the market from, you know, making remote work acceptable to, um, uh, you know, in, you know, ensuring that, um, we are preparing the workforce for kind of the future jobs that exist, exists, and it widened the skills gap even further, um, especially as it relates to high skilled jobs in a way that, um, I think, uh, I think people weren't expecting how fast that transition to happen. And that is our whole mission. Our mission is to help prepare working adult learners to unlock opportunity, and that's future economic opportunity, and to keep up with the changing economic landscape. And so, honestly, it's just put fuel on the fire of us trying to make sure that we um, can scale the business in a way that allows us to actually drive the impact we're trying to drive.
0: So, so, you've already touched on some of them, but what what do you see as some of the other key trends that are unfolding in this sort of next phase of of u s higher ed and and uh, uh, in particular the corporate education space where where guild is a leader?
1: Yeah, I think um one of the things that I think is becoming pretty interesting um that I wouldn't say is particularly tied to higher ed but is just a shift um, I think that is happening is that employees are just expecting more out of their employers. Um, you know, the social contract is changing and um, there was uh, there was a 60 Minutes episode on Sunday um, that uh, I think of the former chief economist of um, of LinkedIn, um, Karen Kimbrough, was um, talking about the the great resignation. Um, and it was a, a great piece, um, on Sunday. And she, I think she said, um, specifically the, the expectations employees have of their employers and how employees invest in their employers and preparing them, um, for the future workforce. And, um, for the future economy is something that employees are now expecting um, and will continue to expect. And so I do think that's an area where um, we will continue to see employers trying to better understand how they can invest in their employees with intentional Um, skilling and um, educational opportunities and academic institutions trying to make sure they can stay ahead of and understand what those needs are so that they can help prepare the workforce in the appropriate ways. Um, And hopefully, given where Guild sits and our abilities, we we get to continue to sit at the intersection of that.
0: That's great. Could you share a little about one of your new initiatives, um, the partnership with 110, in terms of trying to advance the careers of a really ambitious target of 1 million African-Americans in the next decade.
1: Yeah. Rachel has this great thing. um, And, and I don't know if it's hers or it came from somewhere else, but I will attribute it to her because I first heard it from her, which is um, talent is equally distributed. Opportunity is not. Um, And we believe that in the ethos of Guild. And you can hear stories of our own employees, as well as our students around how that might be true. And, Um, And I view it as like I find, you know, there are hidden gems of talent and you hear their story and unpack it. And you're like, wow, like, um, you know, you found a path to getting opportunity, which is why you you landed here. um, And and someone took a bet on you. Um, But there must be tons of people um, like that who kind of need, I would say, guild services. And so. Um, With our partnership with 110, honestly, there's just a few things that we thought were really important. One is continuing to increase access um, uh, for Black talent in particular and making sure that they help feel supported and that we help close the gap between education and employment. The second is that, you know, we already work a lot with HBCUs, um, historically Black um, colleges and universities. And our goal was really to um, help uh, make sure that with our 110 partnership, we could continue to uh, double down on those efforts in the right way. Um, and then the third is that we wanted to make sure that you know, with 110, there's a coalition of chief um, executives and and leaders of companies really trying to double down um, on making sure that we're they're advancing um, um, access for Black Americans and because of Guild's goal and where we sit in that, we thought that we could be a really great um, partner to them and helping them unlock what they were trying to do in their mission.
0: And and can you say a little bit how this works on the ground? Because as I understand your model, right, if you're working with a Walmart or or a Target, right, you're offering a range from from you know very short, skill based courses to degrees to to their workforce. And, and obviously a portion of that workforce would be workers of color that, that that would be eligible for this how does the the particular partnership with 110 how does it influence how you're working either with those employers or with others
1: um I think so one is you know looking at um, what what uh, what guild is doing today um, and what additional barriers we could remove that we weren't thinking about and how 110 can help us um, better understand what those barriers are in some cases um, and help us understand how we can evolve our model in the right ways um, to drive an even larger impact is just one example of a way that um, our partnership with 110 gets unlocked.
0: Great. And can you share a little about where Guild is today and sort of how it's evolved? So so how many employers are you working with? How many students are you serving?
1: Yeah, um so we um, are um, we have 1300 guilders across the country and country and just to put that in context um, I joined guild almost four years ago um, and we had 75 employees so you can do the math on on the growth there um, and our reach has continued to increase significantly um, over 4 million employees have access to guild through their employer and um i um, maybe you saw this week but we just you know we launched uh coal, announced Coles um was going to be offering guild to their employee population just this week and in the last 12 months waste management target sunrun and macy's are all additional employers um who have um um. Uh. you know, who have, have seen the power that Guild can provide through their peer um, companies and organizations and are really excited to increase access for their own employee populations. Um, and when we think about impact, we think about it as both um, those who have access and are embarking on Guild's um, journey, as well as um, you know, how we internally at Guild are impacting our own employee population um, and what we are doing with them um, and how we make sure that we allow Guild and what Guild is doing to also be accessible to our own employees.
0: So, you know, going from 75 to 1,300 employees and about half of that during a pandemic, it seems like a pretty big challenge, right? And particularly if it, you know you, you've alluded to the kind of strong, supportive culture that uh, you know Rachel and the leadership team has has sought to build. So, so how how have you gone about trying to to both bring that talent on board and embed what it means to be a gilder, as you described them, in this in this world we're living?
1: As best as we possibly can, Um, and I would argue that um, we don't get everything right, and we're not perfect, Um, and we have one of our values is a learner's mindset, and I would say that even as leaders, we're learning every day. Um, The pandemic, as you know, is um, unprecedented, and so there is no playbook for how to handle these situations and what to do. Um, and I am learning every day um, including the last two weeks with the new spike on um, what we thought would be possible versus what is actually possible. And so I would say we try to be intentional. Um, we have a really great team of folks who do onboarding for guild and and try to um, instill our ethos and you know our shared success model into um, every employee walks through the door and um, we were able to kind of pivot what we did in person online relatively quickly um, in in that regard, um, but we are learning every day, and I we have made mistakes, um, and we uh, we have the luxury of having the startup ethos inside of us, which means we pivot and learn really quickly, and then adjust, and we'll just keep doing that um, as long as we possibly can.
0: So I I, I love your job title. I'm curious. To- Do you think every college and university needs to have a chief experience officer?
1: I would love to say yes to you, and my answer is actually no. Um, The reason why I believe this title is really important and it can and should be relevant is if you run an institution or you work, um, you know, I would say at any company where you are trying to integrate an offline and an online experience, and you are providing things sometimes in a digital format and sometimes in human services and sometimes um, in other innovative ways, Uh, being able to think and have a 360 view of what's happening with your students or your learners or your members or your um, customers, I think is really important um, in that world. And in that case, you should have a chief experience officer. But if you have one modality in which you're working and and one way of um, impacting and touching the lives of the Folks that are your end, you know, user or customer. I'm not sure you need someone who has my uh, title or or background.
0: Well, of course, particularly during this pandemic, but I think more generally, you know, mo- most colleges, universities like Chatham. I think the description you just gave is a very accurate yeah. <laughs> one of, of what we do, right? Um, so, so I, I, you know, I love that. I, I'm I'm curious if if you could share an example or two of what having that, you know, that holistic view of, of, of the experience, how that shapes, you know, what, what Guild does.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, so, you know, I, I'll give you an, an analogy of, um, and I, I have no idea if your doctor's office does this, but um, there is, um, there is a, Epic has a, a, an app called MyChart, and when you go to the doctor's office and you complete your doctor's visit, the summary notes of that visit go into your MyChart app. And the next time you are engaged with your doctor, the office is really through that app um, versus actually seeing the doctor. And I think about like the seamlessness of that, Um, And that touch point, what happened offline is available to you online. And what happens to you online, the doctor might know about the next time they talk to you. That same concept for me is really important when we think about the work that Guild does. Um, You don't always need to talk to a coach. You don't always want to talk to someone. You are in the break room during your lunch break and you just reached out to someone by a text message. Um, It's really important that the next time you get on the phone with someone, that they know that you talk to them via text and what that conversation looked like, and that it manifests itself in the right ways inside of our technology platform so that you feel like it is very... Guild always knows where you are, and you feel like Guild always knows where you are. And so when I think about that, what that means, um, just very tactically, that means for me that you had a conversation with someone who is helping you figure out the right program options for you you narrowed it down to three options that were most important and now when you go into the platform next time and want to explore those options it's really clear what those three were and you didn't have to lift a finger to make sure that that conversation that you had online got reflected inside or offline um it got reflected inside of our technology and in um, a very seamless way um, that allows you to continue to explore what options might be the best fit for you. Great.
0: So, Guild's obviously been extremely successful with with the, with the growth that you've had over over this four years. What what what's been the biggest challenge along the way in getting to that point?
1: Um, I think you hit on this a little bit earlier, um, which is, um, uh. Fast growth is hard. Um, (laughs) I think if you ask anyone who's worked in other high growth um, companies and then you like layer on COVID and the pandemic and the evolving um, labor force and everything that's happening there. And um, we are going fast. And so there are times where, um, you know, we might have fallen down on building the most cohesive team and had to course correct. But I would say kind of keeping the team cohesion and making sure everyone feels like they really know what Guild is trying to accomplish and how we make trade off decisions and how we make sure we do the best by our, um, users or our members, our learners, I think is, um, is a really important thing that we are, um, continuing to evolve, um, um, how we work um, in and and honestly also in the spirit of um, what guild tries to do then sharing those best practices back out um, and also learning from other companies who are doing great innovative things that we might be able to learn from and and who who are your main competitors in this space um I think to, traditional tuition reimbursement might be viewed as a competitor. Um, honestly, we don't spend a lot of time focused on um, competitors. I think we're doing something innovative um, and different, and we our um, our our path is to double down on on driving outcomes in the way that we want to, and and not worrying so much about what others are doing in the space, um, and making sure that we are working with employers and um, you know academic institutions and and unlocking students in a way that we think will be most impactful.
0: And what 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 do you see the future looking like over these these next few years to come for Gil?
1: Um, a lot of continued growth, I hope um, a lot of a, a lot of learnings and evolution um, in terms of our our focus around um, making sure we really are driving the dial on um, um, unlocking uh, you know career um, mobility opportunities and um, it's a hard problem that I think a lot of folks have been trying to solve for a while. And I think we're uniquely poised to scale that in the right ways. We already do it. Um, and I think we have opportunities to sprinkle some magic in a few um, different areas to really scale that in a way that I think drives large scale impact. And so I'm just excited for us to do that and to share, share that success with um, our, our learners at the end of the day.
0: Well, Bijal, th- thank you so much for, for taking the time to share the Guild story with us. Congratulations on the tremendous success and growth and what you and all your colleagues are doing to 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 empower tens of thousands of, of employees around the country. It's really exciting.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, it was a pleasure talking to you, um, and, and I hope you have a great day.
0: And please say hi to Rachel and Britt next time you speak to them for me
1: of course, I will definitely do that. Um, I think they'll be excited to hear from you.